everyone, welcome to the Curiosity Cast, a place where we explore a variety of topics, meet interesting people, and follow our curiosity wherever it takes us. I'm your host, Allie Merrill, and thanks for tuning in. Today I'm chatting with the founders of Xena, and Xena is a fashion retail brand that supports sustainable fashion as well as educating and empowering female entrepreneurs in Uganda. So I have the founders here with me today. Lauren is in Uganda and Kara is in the UK. So it's a true round the world conversation and they have some great insights to share with us and just their drive and their heart for others is so big that I'm excited to share their story with you. So here you go. Meet Lauren and Kara. So first off, I'd love if you guys could each just introduce yourselves and a little bit about what you do and your organization, and that can kick us off. Lauren, you go first. Awesome. What about you, Cara? Um, yeah, I am. Um, my name is Cara Bennett, and I'm like Lauren's other half, co-founding um, this Xena um, journey together. And right now, I'm in London. I'm British, and um, yeah, kind of as Lauren said, like our, I guess with everything that we're working on as a team, our roles have often been split, kind of between like geography and. Um, for that, like, for what that means for us right now is, you know, um, as a nonprofit, a lot of my work is with donors and as a social enterprise, a lot of our work is also on the sales side. So, um, we are kind of always working together, but like splitting the kind of day-to-day bits based on who can do what, just based on where they are. Obviously COVID has been the craziest thing for us. Um, being very used to being international, obviously that all had to change, but, um, yeah, really excited to still be kind of seeing where this journey is going. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about how you guys met and how Xena started. Yeah, totally. Um, so we met when we both took uh, gap years before university, which is an extremely common thing for people in the UK to do and not, as I um, understand it, a super common thing for people um, in Texas mm-hmm. to do. But um, we, I guess, kind of were similarly aligned even before we knew each other because we both picked the same organization to volunteer with in Uganda. I mean, from my point of view, I was um, really keen to learn from a different culture and um, I'd kind of seen a lot of my peers traveling um, kind of all around the world, like Southeast Asia is a very classic gap year place to go. And, um, I really wanted to, um, I guess, find a way to serve and learn from, um, people who were doing work that to me seemed really meaningful and worthwhile. So I kind of felt drawn over to East Africa and I really wanted to be involved in an organization that was run by local people. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I arrived, Lauren was, working with this organization too and um she at that point I guess she I mean we're a couple years apart so having done her gap year she had stayed in touch and had all these amazing friends and was actually at the time pioneering a women's empowerment program with that team um and it was kind of it ended up being like definitely like it was the skeleton of what um Xena is today and I guess we immediately became friends we laugh all the time because we connected totally um staring up at 
um, the enormous African sky. And I know that sounds like <laughs> the biggest cliche in the entire world, but I mean, it is of course like breathtaking and we were big dreamers. I mean, the, like the mm-hmm. two of us right from the start, I think noticed in each other, someone who was willing to say yes to impossible things and who had, I guess, like horizons of like where they could see life or where they could see possibilities or, um, like the fences of, I think for me, like meeting Lauren, the fences of her life seemed super low. Like she could see exciting things. And um, Mm -hmm. so we became immediate friends, but we also had a really aligned interest in specifically um, women's empowerment and the concept of that. And Lauren was like building this um, right in the practical frustrations of um, the women's empowerment project she was working on. And honestly, I just, it was so interesting um, to me. And I was about to go to Oxford uh, where I studied and it ended up being um, the uh, I chose to write my dissertation on that program. And so then a couple of years later, we were able to um, kind of still in Uganda, like while I was out there studying, Lauren was still running it. And this really became, I think, like the the um, meeting place of where the Xena story actually began. Lauren, do you mm-hmm. want to go from there? Mhm. Mhm. Uh (laughs) (laughs) okay Mm. Wow. Hmm. Mm. And Ali, I remember so clearly, like, there were times where I... I remember the specific day we were like working outside the like out the back house and we actually I think it was maybe before that but I seriously was in the library at, like in the Radcliffe camera at the center of Oxford like studying for my finals and Lauren's like texting me being like do you have two minutes I need to speak to you um like something's come up and I would be like running down these like <sighs> massive oak staircases trying to find a place where I could take a call um yeah. and I just remember Lauren and like we were, I mean, we were, oh my gosh, like think about it now. It's almost like a good thing we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into because I just don't think we would have said yes at the beginning. But I just remember mm-hmm. picking up the phone to Lauren and her being like, okay, uh, the space that we thought we could use, like, I don't think we can use that. It's just not going to work. Like we've got to build a building and we're going we're gonna to have to like start a mm-hmm. construction project out here. And I just remember like looking around and just feeling, oh my goodness, wait, what have we said yes to? Like, oh, I'm just trying to finish school. Like, <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> what have we done? Like all of my friends are getting grad schemes yeah. right now. And I'm what? Like saying yes to building a building in 
Uganda, this is like absolutely idiotic, if not irresponsible. Like, <laughs> where do we mm-hmm. like begin with this? And um, so those, those like, I mean, now we just think it's like, wow. I mean, to a degree, thank goodness we went for it, even though we weren't ready because um, mm-hmm. we would have really missed something. But um, it was definitely a scrappy adventure. It still is. But at the beginning, gosh, we knew nothing. <laughs> because yeah because you it wasn't I mean you were graduating college so it wasn't like you had experience in the fashion industry or in the nonprofit realm well I guess maybe you did throughout college but it sounds like you were learning a lot as you went (laughs) we had no experience (laughs) especially in the fashion industry oh my goodness I think we always talked about like we ended up accidentally finding ourselves that I mean, I think we our conversations while we were um still like in the pre saying yes phase were all around. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. I think Lauren and I were the kind of the age where we grew up at the height of your classic Western charity model. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. clearly watching like Live Aid on. Oh, I can't remember which one it was, but I mean, it was a big cultural idea that we give money to this idea of a third world country well of course like that is not how we see that now we don't we don't talk in those kind of language we don't have that kind of um the you know we don't have that kind of understanding of what um non-profit work or kind of partnership development what that whole space looks like and so I think for Lauren and I when we were kind of exploring and learning and, and in this in this time um pre saying yes to what became Xena, what we were seeing was microfinance was doing so well, seeing how actually rural, small scale businesses can change the game for extreme poverty. And especially in, um, in light of gender inequality. Um, and Mm -hmm. we were seeing like Mohammed Yunus and oh my goodness, like the Grameen Bank just coming across and it was extraordinary seeing what those results were having. And yet then we were also seeing, you know, talking to the women that we were personally meeting, a lot of them our age, loans, kind of added a kind of um different dynamic and sometimes it was a negative one just with power hierarchies and the understanding of what it is to be in debt in some of these Mm -hmm. spaces and so for us we were asking this question of oh my goodness clearly small-scale businesses these women like could change the game like they are changing their communities themselves it's just this step to capital is there a way to do this without loans that is a partnership um, mm-hmm. enterprise, a partnership venture where it's kind of mutually beneficial. Could we end up finding a market that would be a pool for these women to earn for themselves, hand out free, debt free, their own launch pad to get in a vehicle that they've made for themselves and drive it to where they want to go and, you know, take their communities, their families with them. And that was really the vision, that whole single premise that actually investing in female entrepreneurs does have the power to change the global story of extreme poverty and gender inequality. And um, that -hmm. was kind of all we had. Like we had pretty much nothing else. And I was working with, um, I was so honored at the time to be working with some of the most like eminent professors in the space of like uh, post-colonial feminist um, development. And I was drinking in all of these different kind of critiques and understandings. And we were grappling with it on kind of a theoretical level, but also on then Lauren, like being in the weeds and on a daily basis, you know, meeting with women, like talking to them just, you know, as they're walking to work or like chatting to their kids, like, and in the end we did like over 50 interviews. I think it was Lauren um, to different women and just hearing, their dreams and their hopes and, and mm-hmm. what they felt like they actually could build. And it was, it was, I think then so clear to us that actually there could be something here, but that was it. Like we had nothing else. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how long ago was that that you started Xena? So that well, we I was gonna say we um I think we said yes to Xena in the summer of 2016. Then those first like seven months was Lauren living in Kampala. Um, trying to figure out our next move. And to this day, Lauren's Lauren's mom says that was one of the most stressful seasons of her life, like Lauren's mom's life, yeah. just, you know, not really knowing where Lauren was sleeping that night. And I mean, I was seriously getting texts from Lauren being like, oh man, there's no public transport to the place that I was wanting to check out for our next, like for our first location. So I kind of hitchhiked my whole way, like, or she would just be like, um, oh, dang it. I have nowhere to stay. I have nowhere to stay tonight. Never mind. Like I'll figure it out. Like, honestly, that was a crazy time. Laura, I, I, you know, I was just at school. Lauren's kind of ringing me every day, just kind of telling me, um, where she's exploring to see where we could start. So that was kind of the fall of 2016, but Uh Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Those and relationships then... were probably key for a lot of things during that time. <laughs> oh my gosh, totally. But then 2017, right at the beginning, was significant because um, Lauren and Jayanne, our first member of the team, our country director, moved out to Kamuli, which is where we started our base. And from there, it was like, all right the ball's rolling and um that fall we launched our first collection wow and that you said that was in 2017 that's right okay okay um and it started off also just to clarify for listeners that it started off uh called tribe and glory so you might find tribe and glory out there Mm. as well as xena i'm curious about the i meant to ask you this earlier but the cattle horn can you talk a little bit more about that because it sounds like you, you mentioned it's recycled cattle horn. So where is it coming from and what makes it recycled?
Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. And and the work that you guys do is really beautiful. When I was looking at on your website, all of the things you're selling, it's gorgeous. And it's so sad to think of how often those are burned because it's so beautiful. Right? I know. It's extraordinary what you can make make from it. What would you say are some of the biggest obstacles for women specifically in Uganda? I mean, um, if you could maybe share some specific things that would hold women back from succeeding and being able to start their businesses without the help mm -hmm. of Xena or something similar to kind of help launch them. I mean, no, go on, Lauren. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I was just going to say, one of the women actually, like, a couple weeks ago, wrote out her story. Um, and one of the things that she wrote that I'll just never forget is that she said, um, I am, she said, my mother says, I am the father of my household. And she was saying that because she's the one who provides for her four kids and she's the one mm. who is putting food on the table and for, you know, for that, for that community, like it's almost like the the definition of a father is to provide for the family, just culturally mm-hmm. and the understanding of gender roles and household um, kind of like relationship balances and that kind of thing. But, you know, for her to say like, I am the father of the household. And, you know, she was saying with such pride, she wrote in her story, she mm. was like, I, um, like I have put iron sheets on my house. My children no longer get sick when it rains. And, I have done this with nobody's help. And I just think it's so extraordinary that actually, you know, the confidence that that brings that actually to understand that you can be a provider for your family as a woman. And they, they are, they are providing for their Mm -hmm. families and where some of the men aren't around just because of how rural it is. And, um, it's been really extraordinary because I think I would have just said what, just to add on Lauren to what you were saying, I think another thing that we've seen is, confidence that comes with an education in the really immeasurable or the kind of um like the byproducts of a classroom like peer-to-peer or like um peer leadership self-leadership confidence in um communication a lot of the women who are also illiterate really feel a stigma around that and in their community not knowing whether or not they can add the math of their like the produce that they're selling they don't know if they're mm-hmm. being ripped off and they know that they don't know and um I think there's definitely barriers of confidence that comes with not ever having been you know told you can you can do this and mm-hmm. I think when you're in a classroom you're being invested in you're being you're giving you're given time by the teacher every single day someone is teaching you how to write your name and for those women who didn't experience that the message I guess that they kind of took from that was they weren't worth it and they didn't need they were told they didn't they weren't worth the education but it was too expensive for them to get um taught how to write their name or to learn the math Hmm. um so I think confidence is definitely one and the understanding of what it means to be a woman in the household or that gender understanding of um, gender roles, I would say, is another barrier. And so it sounds like Zena provides education as well as a job. So because you mentioned classes, what are they learning in the classes? Okay. Mm-hmm. What a great way to support women and help them grow, not only with work, but education and learning. And also, I love that holistic development that they get to kind of have a say in what they talk about and whatever's going on in their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so they will come and work for Xena for a period of time, and during that time, they're saving for whatever business it is that they're interested in. Is that right? Okay. Oh, cool. Wow. So what are some of the businesses that women have started after graduating from Xena? Yeah. So last year we had five women graduate. They were the first. So okay. our first two, um, Eva graduated with a Gomezi shop. It's a local traditional um, ceremonial dress. Um, so she sells Gomezis. She has this extraordinary shop. She's beloved. She's got local um, kind of regular customers um, and then Harriet started a kind of charcoal wholesale shop, um, supplying local, both personal and then sort of schools and different companies with charcoal. I mean, in Kamuli, a lot of the cooking and day-to-day mm-hmm. um, kind of kitchen work all happens based on charcoal. Um, and then we had um, a boutique start, um, a salon start, and uh, a farm of a farming like the basic like the maize cassava um mm-hmm. kind of your staple product um start as well so those are the first five and wow. we'll see seven graduate this fall which we're so excited about that's awesome so what would you say are some of have been some of the biggest challenges for Zena growing and especially being very cross-cultural with I don't think either of you are Ugandan <laughs> yourselves. No. Um, what has that been like and what kind of challenges have you guys come up against during the past few years? Gosh, um, I would say um, Lauren definitely jump in, but I, you know, I think for us, this thing started out because we saw an opportunity to, um, kind of create a solution in partnership Mm -hmm. with these women and at the beginning I remember so often people saying um we were entrepreneurs but we never saw it that like that at the beginning I I don't know (laughs) I honestly still don't know what we did see ourselves as back then but I think we were like no no we're building this non-profit but um it became really clear to us I guess kind of at the end of the first year of sales that uh, no, this, if this is going to work in partnership, we are entrepreneurs and we have to run this thing like a business. And so I would say mm-hmm. we, it was a challenge for us learning how to run this thing as a business. I think it's also now been one of our greatest strengths because when we get back on ground and we're, we're back with the team and talking to the women who are about to start businesses themselves, you know, we're able to talk to Susan, who's about to start her shoe shop about her marketing strategy, because we're like, oh, you know, this really worked for us selling jewelry. Mm-hmm. This really didn't. Or, hey, it's surprising, like how often, you know, X, Y, Z will work when you don't think. And I think it's now amazing that we're able to, we've been on this journey of learning how to be entrepreneurs ourselves too. Um, and mm-hmm. as we kind of said at the beginning, we really didn't know the landscape of the fashion industry at all honestly it was so foreign to us that having to learn a new language we were laughing earlier we one of the things that happened in our second year was that we got an opportunity to work with Bloomingdale's in their summer carousel they were doing a big event around the Lion King and you know all of our dreams came true when they included us in that um to be in like four locations of Bloomingdale's I mean for us that was just crazy and we were so excited so we came out of the meeting with the order and the like opportunity to to, to design the exclusive so excited and then right a week later 
the kind of manual landed in our inbox of the kind of wholesale rules. And I remember us reading through that thing and just our stomachs dropping, like not knowing a single word in that book, not knowing. Oh I gosh. think back then we didn't even know what like a real skew was or we didn't, right. we had no idea what, it was full of acronyms. They had all these strict rules. And the scary thing was like, there were all these fines attached to these rules. If you didn't put the right label, the right millimeter distance away from the edge of the box, you would get fined. And wow. Um, Laura- <laughs> oh my gosh on Ugandan time wow Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of the the one thing I think it's it's been such a fun journey to be on. Um the fashion industry mm-hmm. is one of the most extraordinarily diverse. I think we kind of came in at a time where it's just it's so welcoming and right now it just feels like the fashion industry is literally geared towards talking around stories of impact, stories of environmental awareness, stories of gender equality. I mean I mean, this year, especially, but before that, when we kind of made an appearance, it kind of felt like we were really on message, which was not something we planned. It just ended up being the way it worked. And so mm-hmm. thankfully it, it never felt like we had to kind of go in and learn this new language and not be ourselves. It kind of felt like people were ready for the story that we were telling anyway, which was really cool. You're a nonprofit, right? And yeah. you are a business and and you're also providing this education. And so you're kind of at a trifecta, I guess, <laughs> of all these things blending of that's a lot to learn all at once. I can't imagine. And then especially being in a in another country trying to do that as well. Um, did the language I know that Uganda speaks English and Swahili. I don't know if it's primarily English or if there's been a language barrier at all with your ex- experience there. The, they do speak English and where we were, it was mm-hmm. um, Lusoga and Uganda. The, I think the thing was, you know, with working in Uganda, we knew right from the beginning, I mean, we're not going to be able to do anything. We're just going to have to, you know, try and persuade the people who can do things to, mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to say yes to helping us. And so, you know, we have an extraordinary staff team. I mean, those guys that took a risk on us and said yes to being our first employees, like our Ugandan team are just unbelievably professionals and a professional and, and it's such a gift to work alongside them. And I think Lauren and I have always just been like, look, our job is to facilitate other people to do what they do well. And so if we can kind of position the right people with the right funding and resourcing in their right spaces, then they'll they'll do it. And so we've never for a moment tried to I mean, we literally would not even know how to kind of run a classroom setting or that kind of thing, but we knew mm-hmm. people who could. And so I think it was just about, you know, this is about a team doing um, what each of the members of the team can do best. And and that was kind of how we proceeded. Okay. So I kind of want to zoom out a little bit to the broader fashion industry topic, um, because from from what I know, from the little I know about it, the fashion industry 
tends to lend itself to unfair wages and poor living conditions and just unfair treatment, especially of women, I would assume. Um, So I think it's awesome that you guys are providing a living wage and enough for them to be able to save for their future business since they all have their own specific dreams and goals. Um, what, What would you guys say about that aspect of the fashion industry that just just is very unfair and not right. Not a right way to treat people. Right. No, I know. I think, um, what I would say, um, is that I think there is a ton of hope right now. I would say that the generation Mm -hmm. that, um, is kind of coming, I mean, they always say that like it's the Gen Z lot, but definitely younger millennials too. I mean, people who are building businesses now, like we look around at our peers and it's, you know, environmental sustainability is an absolute given, like don't even start something if that isn't already inbuilt. And then social Mm -hmm. impact is like always going to be at the forefront too. And I I think that, um, I think there's just so much hope. And I think the more we've learned and leaned in, it seems as though um, those people that do have the microphones and do have the platforms are actually intentionally now making space for um, impact to be at the front of the story, environment to be in the middle of the story. And that has been something that personally, not knowing about the fashion industry, I was really excited and surprised to learn. And it does seem like okay. the movement at the top and in the center does seem to be all towards that that way, which I think has been so cool to to learn from. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. What would you guys recommend for consumers who are trying to decide which brands to support and where to buy their clothes and where to buy their jewelry, all of that? It feels like a very, it feels kind of hard to know mm-hmm. how to choose things. Um do you guys have any suggestions or secrets or like places to go where people can shop sustainably um, and with that social impact in mind? I would just say, I think, you know, we, we've grown up in a consumer environment that has been dominated by some really large brands. And I would just say that Mm -hmm. a lot of the gold is in the small brands. And I would say like, don't be afraid to shop small and shop from independent and like small businesses, especially looking on, um, like Instagram is so helpful how it serves you. Um, like the stuff that you're interested in, because I feel like I've discovered Mm -hmm. so many really small young brands that, um, are, I don't know, using, you know, plastic from the ocean or, um, you know, recycled fabrics, whatever it is. But, um, I think that there's so many cool small brands coming up and tapping into that Mm -hmm. community of really diverse, scrappy brands. They give you so much for your money. They're often genuinely really close to the causes that they're, they're saying that they are. And I feel like that, that link is a gift to be as close to the source of the, um, 
like the origin of the product as possible, like cutting down some of the supply chain, the middlemen. I mean, and I think you can mm-hmm. do that now. Like the direct consumer landscape is really geared towards um, more consumer visibility and enjoying the small brands and the communities that people all over the country and all over the world are really creating at the at this point. Mhm. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm curious what what you guys see for Zena in the future. What are your long-term goals and dreams and mm. and maybe it's even beyond Zena as well. I don't know what I don't know what big things you guys have up your <laughs> sleeves because it sounds <laughs> like you'll do a lot. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your vision. Oh my gosh, we love this question. Um, the vision is to see this thing satellited. Um, it is mm-hmm. our favorite topic. We would love to see this thing um, rolled out. So we think that what we're building in Kamuli uh, in East Uganda is just the pilot of what we do believe is a cross-cultural replicable model of, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, of this new wave of development. And we went on a couple of exploratory trips in 2019 I think yeah pre this crazy year um and started just the exciting process of talking to women in cultures that we'd never been to and learning from them about their stories with their small businesses and whether working out in our like doing the maths in our mind of could this does this work like uh does this scale does is this like price mm-hmm. parity um gonna work with our model and I think really excitingly the answer is yes so I mean Xena right now is jewelry and it's all in recycled cattle horn but who knows maybe it could have a line of I don't know hair clips or scrunchies from fabrics from a a different um part of the world where women are also Mm -hmm. starting their businesses there so that for us I think is where we're wanting to we're wanting to go Can I come to one of your headquarters dance parties? 
please, you are invited anytime. You do not need to ask. That sounds like a great, I love that that's part of your company because that just sounds like fun and what a way to just bring joy, uh, you know, to the workday and just, yeah, to meetings that otherwise <laughs> might be boring or, you know, stale, just start dancing. That's mm. awesome. Not, no, your meetings are not boring or stale. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, no. I mean, we just love, I mean, we, it's the culture celebration. I think, honestly, that the women propagated themselves and I mean, we've mm-hmm. just been beneficiaries of, um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's just, I guess we're, it just feels very, um, true to our identity as a team, I guess, mm-hmm. to have that front and center. What is your website where they can find you? They can purchase items. They can donate. What mm. would be the best place to find Zena? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. That was so fun to hear more about Xena and just feel so inspired by what you guys are doing. Um, it's exciting to think of where Xena could go in the future and yeah, the amount of impact that you guys are, are having and will have as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for having us, Ali. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Curiosity Cast. For more content and episodes, you can visit www.thecuriositycast.com or follow us on Instagram at the Curiosity Cast. Stay curious.